What an honor it is to be in this place with you all, to be serving alongside my fellow graduates, my brothers and sisters. This is such a sacred place. This is a place um, in which the Lord affirmed my calling in my very first chapel here. Uh, my husband and I were married in this room and I've confessed so many things to the Lord in this place. And I've left a lot of tears in this carpet. <laughs> Mostly just here, not, not so much over here or back there. So perhaps you've, you have a place where you put your tears, but blue is a good color for that. Um, but it's truly an honor to be here, um, to stand before you and to stand with you in this community in these last few weeks. Friends, let me tell you, I am in the throes of transition. We are in the throes of transition. Our community does this every year. Some of us graduate and move away. Some of us leave for summer internships. Some of us sit over in Orlean House and make besties with Netflix. That may or may not have been my first summer here. Um, my point is that transition is upon us. And whether you like it or not, transition royally messes up your life. The emotional train wreck that is going on inside of you can all be explained by that big T word, transition. Those of you who are staying here will lose friends who are graduating and moving away. Um, and those of us who are graduating and moving away will grieve the loss of our life that we know it here at seminary. If you are in extreme transition, this will explain why you've lost your keys 15 times since Monday. <laughs> and you may or may not have forgotten to wear underwear to your last day of ex exegesis, but you didn't notice until you got home that night. <laughs> I said underwear in chapel. <laughs> the dreaded pastor. Um, Transition does not begin when you move, it begins even before you leave. Yes, friends, this season of weeping, mental discombobulation, and general chaos probably began in February or even earlier for those of us leaving. At our core, we are feeling loss. I feel most keenly the loss for the relationships that I've made in this place over the last <clears throat> six years. Some of us will never see each other again. Um, Dr. Marilyn Elliott, our transition expert, describes our community as a, a beautiful little tide pool. The tide comes in, brings all this new life, you know, with NSO, and we all reside here for a little bit, and then the tide goes out, and it takes some life with it. Well, Quentin and I have been here for a while and are very familiar with the rhythms of each semester, and we have anticipated this large transition before us. So since the fall, we've been thinking about how to make this last year a good year, how to exit well. With each passing holiday, we've made sure to be intentional about how we've celebrated. We may not have known where we were going after graduation, but we certainly knew we would be going. So we intentionally leaned into relationships and said no to way more invitations than this extrovert is comfortable with. 
Quentin loved it. Um, and we began to make our hashtag Kentucky bucket list. So uh, when reading week rolled around, we decided to throw caution to the wind and get really wild. We ate brunch every single day. <laughs> In fact, we coined a hashtag for that, hashtag Tour to Brunch 2016. And actually, you know, Quentin had no part in making these hashtags. He's not that sort of person. So it's fine, which is fine. It's good. When I say we, I mean I. But friends, let me tell you, I freaking love brunch, okay? Brunch is the best. Brunch is intentional, it's relational, and it's set apart. Brunch has all the best types of food. Waffles, poached eggs, fancy fruits, the list goes on. Perhaps there's a meat, like not an everyday kind of meat, but like bacon or sausage. Some of you eat bacon every day, we know it. It's fine. <laughs> Brunch is intentional. Brunch is never on a weekday. No, no, it's for the weekend. Brunch is not food grabbed on the way to some other activity. Brunch is the activity. Brunch is relational. It's the perfect setting for deep talks and deepening of relationships. We come to catch up on each other's lives and invest in one another. We good Christians would call it a sweet time of fellowship. Brunch is set apart. When you walk into the room, when you walk into the room, the aroma of brunch is all around you. It's in the air. It's on the table. You know, there's doilies out and cloth napkins and some fresh cut flowers. Brunch is relational, intentional, and set apart as a sacred space in which we share our lives with one another. So today, we're going to have brunch. I want you to go ahead and look under your pews. There's trays of crispy bacon. No, I'm just kidding. This is not the Oprah show, okay? <laughs> some bacon for you and bacon for you. We all have bacon. No, this is Estes Chapel. So, though there may not actually be bacon under the pews, trust that we are going to make a very important stop on that hashtag Tour to Brunch 2016. We're having brunch on a beach with Jesus, Peter, and six of the other disciples. This will be the third and last time Jesus reveals himself to his disciples after his resurrection and before his ascension, according to John. Jesus is on his way to the Father. So today's hashtag tour to brunch is somewhat like Jesus's hashtag bucket list, but only Jesus gets to have a post kicked the bucket bucket list. And that's why he's the risen Lord. He's the Savior. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, in this passage, we come upon the disciples in a season of transition, a season of disorder. We won't pretend that the ancient psyche is the same as a modern 2016 psyche, but we know that they are struggling with loss and chaos and some sort of disorder. Their rabbi died. 
their savior went to the grave and then he rose again okay that's out of order like this is I would be like what is air who am I can I trust you can I trust me like it is out of order um it's good that it's out of order praise the Lord but so we come to the disciples in this season of transition and Peter in all of his chaos and inner turmoil he decides he's going to go back to something familiar he, he's going to go to something he knows, something he can count on. He can fish. So he decides we're going fishing, and they fish all night, constantly casting the net out and drawing it back in. Empty. And when morning breaks, they are undoubtedly tired and hungry and frustrated because they are still empty-handed and not to mention adrift without their Lord. Peter is not only trying to live amongst the disorder and disappointment in his outer world, but he's trying to live with the disorder of a broken relationship in his internal world. Peter is probably dealing with what we might call complex grief. I'm putting that counseling degree to work, Dr. Holman. She's not here. Stratton, anyone? A little over a week ago, Peter denied and abandoned Jesus just prior to his crucifixion. Can you imagine the shame on top of the loss and transitional issues that he is dealing with? And to make matters worse, Jesus predicted that he would do that. By denying Christ, Peter may have even felt like he had disqualified himself for ministry. And on some level, he's justified in wondering if he's done that. He's not in right relationship with the Lord, and he's certainly not in right relationship with himself. And at this point, he can't even do something a fisherman could normally do with his eyes closed. His, his nets remain empty. Remorse, regret, Shame, heartbreak, there's no shalom, it's out of order. He needs reconciliation with the Lord. He needs reconciliation with himself. Jesus does not transition out of this world and leave Peter with all of this internal and external chaos. Praise God. He hasn't ascended just yet. Jesus calls to the boat from the shore and gives them instructions on where to cast their net. And upon doing so, their nets become so full, it's a wonder that they're not torn. Peter sees that this man on the beach is the resurrected Lord. He doesn't know it, but Jesus has come to reconcile with Peter. Jesus comes to initiate reconciliation. Peter gets to the beach. He notices Jesus is cooking at a charcoal fire. The author of John mentions a charcoal fire in two places. One is here. Can you guess where else? One of them is in the story about the night in which Jesus is arrested and being held. Illuminated by the flames of a charcoal fire, 
Peter denies even knowing the Lord, not once, but three times. In the light of that charcoal fire, Peter backs away from the Lord. But today, in the early morning light of this charcoal fire, Peter leaves his now full nets and swims toward the Lord. Perhaps the presence of the risen Lord is more powerful than isolation and shame. When Peter gets to the beach, Jesus invites him to bring some of what he has caught and to place it next to the fish and the loaves the Lord is already cooking. Peter and the other disciples now receive the best brunch invitation ever. Come and have breakfast, Jesus says. Jesus welcomes Peter back into relationship with him, creating order out of disorder through a meal. That familiar smoky stink of the charcoal fire is transformed into the inviting aroma of delicious grilled fish and bread. But Jesus does not stop there. In the subsequent verses, he pulls Peter off to the side and orients Peter toward his ministry with Jesus' own love to the love of Jesus for his flock. Do you remember how it goes? Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend my flock. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. This was Peter's commissioning. Fishing was something Peter knew. Remember how Jesus first called him, I will make you fishers of people? But now Peter's charge is to be a shepherd and to care for the flock. Sisters and brothers, it is when we are in right relationship with the Lord and ourselves that we receive clarity about our mission and our calling each day. By the time Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? The brunch has already been had. Reconciliation happened at that meal in the breaking of the bread. Sisters and brothers, as we sit here today in the throes of transition, Jesus will tell us where to fish. We don't have to figure it out alone. He continues to invite us to brunch and will already have breakfast cooking. He will provide for us but he will also invite us to bring what we have to offer as well. He will invite us to bring ourselves to dine with him. Jesus receives Peter's offering. He receives our offering, and he is satisfied. And then through this right relationship, through his love, we are oriented toward our own commissioning and toward ministry for the flock. We have only to accept the invitation. Remember that brunch is intentional, relational, and set apart. 
What if in this season of chaos and disorder and transition, Jesus is inviting you to brunch today? What if he's inviting you to brunch every single day to reconcile with him? Sisters and brothers, transitioning will require us to accept the invitation, transitioning well. For it is there that reconciliation happens. John doesn't have a commissioning story. This is it, the the conversation with, do you love me? Reconciliation to God and to oneself can be a prerequisite to ministry. It must be. Let us transition well and accept this invitation to brunch. Let us be reconciled to our Lord. Graduation may feel like the last supper of seminary, but remember, there's always brunch in the morning. And once you have experienced a brunch like this, you can then invite others to the best brunch of their lives where the host is Jesus and the meal is bread and wine. Amen.